Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Father, um, we just are so thankful for this opportunity to gather together as a body. Um, Lord, we just thank you for uh, just your word and the wisdom in it. Lord, I just pray for Luke as he um, delivers your word that you would just bless him. Um, May it be the Holy Spirit speaking through him and not his words. Mm -hmm. Uh, May we, um, as your people, be humble um, and seeking to grow closer to you this morning. Uh, I just thank you for all the blessings you've given us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please welcome. We have Luke Anderson here uh, this morning. He's a seminary student currently at Bethlehem, um, and he is filling in for uh, Mark this morning. So thanks, Luke. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Can you all hear me okay? Good morning. Good morning, church. It is good to be here with you all. It's good to worship with you this morning. <coughs> Thank the Lord for this. Uh, as, as Luke said, uh, my name is Luke Anderson. I'm a seminary student at Bethlehem College and Seminary. My wife, Shanna, is here with me. Um, just want to thank you all for the, the warm welcome this morning in Jesus' name. That was, it's good to be here with you all. <clears throat> and I pray that the Lord would bless our time together this morning and uh, give us grace to receive his word together. So, uh, just first, why this passage? Why do we go here this morning? Well, for several reasons, but uh, most importantly, because we need God's word to save us from the anger of man. We're prone to it. James calls it the anger of, of man. It's typical to our fallen nature. We, we come into it easily, and we're oblivious to the fact that we're in it. And uh, We face frustrations in life all the time. Over Whether it's because of things people do or say or just over the way things go in life and uh, things not going the way we wanted them to, not, not going the way we hoped they would. Um, when life is like that, when it's full of these frustrating situations, whether it's situations, circumstances, frustrating people maybe, uh, frustrating relationships, when life is full of those things, we're tempted to complain in our hearts and grumble about that. And the complaining leads to bitterness, and bitterness to anger, and anger to just all kinds of sin coming out of us. <clears throat> and this thing that started as just this quiet 
bad attitude in my heart is now producing all kinds of deadly things that are coming out of me. And so this is God's word to us for that. This is God's help to us to save us from that. And so he exposes that for us and shows us the anger of man for what it is. So we're not deceived about this. We see it. And, he, and, he, and if we're living in that, if we find I'm in this, he sets us free from it. He corrects us in it. He sets us free and he helps us to, to be washed of it. He washes us of this and gives us power over it in Jesus' name by his spirit. And so we need him to do that. And I, I kid you not, this is amazing this morning. Aaron was pulling from Psalm 19. That is exactly what I was reading this morning in my time with the Lord. And I just wanted, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 19. This is just to remember, this is what God's word does for us. I was just looking at verses 7 to the end. This is Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. <coughs> Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep, me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <coughs> Amen. So that's, that's why we need to go here this morning, and that's why we go. So what we're seeing this morning from James is how should a Christian respond to the many frustrations of life? Why should I respond that way? And what will be the outcome? Of that, I think those are the three main things that God gives us here, and those are those are those will be kind of the pegs that we hang things on this morning. Some of our thoughts, and so uh, I'd like to just pray one more time to that end that we would receive this well. So would you pray with me, Father, Lord? May Your name be blessed and honored here this morning in our time together. Please speak to us from Your Word and give us what we need. Make us quick to hear. Help us to receive with meekness your life-saving word and change us by it. We do not live by bread alone, but by your every word. So open our eyes. Give us life. Make us understand. Teach us. Enlarge our hearts that we may run in the way of your commandments with joy. Your word does not return to you void. It will accomplish your purpose and succeed in that for which you sent it. So save us from temptations and distractions and deliver us from evil. Lead us, good shepherd, in your steadfast love. And for your name's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A wise man uh, once told me, 
You don't know what was said until you know who said it, to whom they said it, and why they said it. And his point was, if we want to understand what someone meant by their words, the context of those words is very important. Who's saying this? Who are they saying this to? Why are they saying this? Knowing those types of things is going to shed light on, on our passage this morning. So that's what we want to do. So that's where we're going to go first, getting some context here. So if we look at 1-1, just the very start of the letter here. <coughs> first thing we see, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want to run by that. I think James is, this is most likely the brother of our Lord Jesus, who's mentioned in Galatians 1, 19. Um, the, the important thing to see here, to realize, think about this, this is a very prominent figure in the early church. He's also mentioned in Acts, uh, in the Jerusalem Council, in Acts chapter 15, uh, chapter 12, and 21 of Acts 2. Um, so he's, he's a very prominent figure in the church, and he's the brother of our Lord Jesus. And look at how he refers to himself. It's not the brother of the Lord Jesus, or even a brother of the Lord Jesus. It's, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. This is a man who knows who Jesus really is. This is a Christian man who's, who's writing. I think that's important to see. Who's he writing to? The 12 tribes in the dispersion. And so I think the dispersion is important to note there. These are Christians who have been dispersed by persecution, forced from their homes and towns, which probably means that they're poor, probably homeless. Day-to-day -day life is probably really difficult for them. So that's who this is for, Christians in that situation. And so it's no wonder that James starts his letter, his first words are about trials, helping them to see. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And as we go through this opening portion, the word trials just keeps coming up again and again. Various versions of that. We get trial, test, temptation. The same Greek word is behind all of those. And so you see in verse 2, when you meet trials. In verse 12, steadfast under trial. Four times in verse 13 as the word tempted. Again in verse 14, tempted. So that seems to be the focus of what we're seeing in this opening portion. So our context is one of trials and tests. Faith being tested and tried in difficult circumstances. So you put that together. Christian man writing to other Christians, trying to encourage them to do what's right by faith in the midst of their trials. And then comes our passage. Know this, my beloved brothers. And so now things start to become a little clearer. So when he says, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, that seems to mean when difficult circumstances test your faith, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. When life is frustrating and difficult, be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't rush into anger in that situation. Be quiet, be still, be calm. And then also when he says uh, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that seems to mean because it has become bitter, 
under its trials and is responding to them in, in sinful ways. And you start to see the true face of this teaching emerge out of this. It's like this is not some, some trite, uh, I don't know, some, some trite platitude about being humble. This is like a, a ration for life in the trenches. This is something real that we need for the way life really is. And so James says, he hangs as a banner over all of this, know this. We need to know this. And as I was thinking about this, uh, one of the things I've noticed in my own walk with the Lord is how often I need to be reminded of things that I once knew. And it's, it's not that I didn't know the thing. It's, it's not that it was new to me. It's, I knew it, but I'd forgotten it. And usually it's that I'd forgotten it functionally, how I was acting, what I was doing was saying to other people, oh, he, he doesn't know this. And so, you know, it's, it's being a Christian, being in Christ, but not believing functionally that God is really for me, that he is 100% for me, and living in the peace and the joy of that, that, that not coming out of my life. You know, it's, it's, it's forgetting things like that. I think, we, I think we all have things like that that we need to know again, like know again and believe this functionally. So whether it's truths, fundamental truths of the gospel, or whether it's truths about God's character or about Jesus or about reality, uh, God is so good to us in that he is all the time reminding us of things that we've forgotten things that we need to hear again, things that we need to know again and act on, things that we need to believe and hold. He's our good shepherd, and he keeps us by his word. So for a lot of us this morning, this might be, know this again, remember this, believe this, heed this, act on this. So these are the th- three things that James, I think, is putting forward for us, as I, as I mentioned before. How we should respond, the reason for it, and the outcome. And I should say, uh, my points are a little uneven here. This first one is a little chunkier than the last two. He'd <laughs> uh, say, it's a rookie, rookie preacher mistake. Was, you, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, first, our response quick to hear. We should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger there in verse 19. I think if you put all those together, you could call it meekness. That's what we're talking about, the way of Christian meekness. And I I get that from verse 21, where he says, receive with meekness, the implanted word. And and you see there, James' two main propositions in our text are linked together in his logic. So that's why I'm saying that. So uh, verse 21 is a conclusion that he's drawing from from that first one. He says, uh, so the manner and response he's he's wanting in this first one is the same in what follows. And that link helps us also to see what it is we're supposed to hear. Be quick to hear, hear what? God's word. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that's a really important piece in this. So it's when life becomes painful and difficult, 
be quick to hear God's word. Be quick to hear him in that place. What does God say about this situation? What does he say is true about this? Not how do I feel? How am I thinking about this? How am I seeing this? What's God say? That's what we want to be quick to hear. Because that's what's true. That's reality. What God says of this is true. And so we receive with meekness what he says. <clears throat> I was talking about this with Shanna the other day. Praise the Lord for wives and, and woods. Shanna saw that I was anxious about this, I think, and came over and said, Hey, we're going to go for a walk in the woods, and you're going you're gonna to clear your head. And, and we talked together about this. And, and when we were doing that, and praise the Lord, that was incredibly helpful. Um, hmm, yes. I was, I was telling her, I was, I was thinking about all this. In this first part, at first I was thinking, this just seems like a manner. He keeps saying, be like this. So it just seems like something passive, like it's an attitude that we're to try and have or something. Uh, you know, not so much something that you actively do. Um, but I don't think that's the case, because this is a response. Uh, e even if it's just holding, enduring, bearing it in faith, patience is not passive. It's bearing a weight. If you're in the gym and you're, you're ready to do some bench presses. Once the bar is off those rests and it's up in the air, someone, someone watching you might walk by and say, okay, he's not doing anything yet. It's like, yes, I am. <laughs> I, I'm keeping this 200 pounds from crushing my chest, man. I, I am resisting this weight. I'm holding it up. That's very active. Don't, don't think about this as a passive thing that you're doing. You're bearing the load. <clears throat> and so James is telling us, uh, James is very quick, I'm sorry, James is very quick to tell us that hearing and faith are by no means passive. In what follows, he explains that hearing means acting. That's where he goes after this. So when we hear God's word, what he says about this situation how he says the way things are, if we only listen to those words without acting in accord with what we just heard, we're not really listening. We haven't really listened to him. We must act on it in accord with what he says. Our act is the amen to what he says. And so, if we need to be able to hear God's word quickly, you know, in the face of these difficult things, that seems to mean that we have to, have to have his word memorized. It needs to be in us. Is that what James means here? And I think surely that's part of it. It's like the psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. And again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'm sure that if we were to ask James today, he would say, yes, yes, I mean God's word. Every command, every promise, every great saving work of God, know and love his word. And I think he would add, and don't miss the point. Don't do what the Pharisees did in memorizing the whole thing and completely missing the point completely missing the point of who it's about 
It's about Jesus. Don't miss the point and the message of the Bible, the gospel of your salvation, the word of Christ crucified for sinners, crucified and risen for sinners. Even the youngest Christian in the kingdom who just believed on Jesus yesterday has this in them because they've, they've believed the gospel. If you've believed the gospel, then you have received with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It's in you. That is what we need to, to hear. That is what we must receive with meekness in the face of painful, discouraging, difficult circumstances. That's what we need to be quick to hear whenever our faith is tested. And that's why I'm calling this Christian meekness. And this isn't just, this isn't moralism. This is the gospel that you're hearing in the face of these difficult circumstances. If everything you see is discouraging and disappointing, being quick to hear the gospel is gonna remind you that your story does not end that way. Because of your risen Lord, who loved you and gave himself for you, your story has no end. The only, the only end that you have is death and then life with him forever. Know that. You and I will see his face. The one we've read about all our lives, you're gonna see his face. That is incredible. <clears throat> so we need to be quick to hear that. Slow to speak, what does this mean? James says in 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So I think slow to speak, I think it refers to types of speaking that contradicts what God says or who God is. <clears throat> and, and it speaks those things, it seems to, because it's bitter and angry about the way life is. And so I think slow to speak, slow to anger kind of go together there, kind of as a, a couplet in this. It's the types of things that people tend to say when they're in pain in life and things have been really difficult for them for a long time. It's the things that come out of a heart that's become bitter. And I think we see this in James chapter one, verses six and seven when he's talking about praying to God, James imagines this person who asks God for something in prayer and then immediately says in their heart, but he won't give it to me. When you think about that, what would make someone talk that way? Well, if you've hoped for something again and again and been denied repeatedly over and over, Solomon says hope deferred makes the heart sick. What tends to happen to our view of God when life becomes really discouraging and painful? God doesn't seem good anymore. So you're just feeling and tasting like, why would he do this to me? And you just keep looking at your circumstances and you just keep reading them and thinking, well, God, God doesn't want to see good things come to me because they don't. Bad things keep coming to me. Bad things keep happening to me. I feel like he hates me. If that's you this morning, my heart is with you. If that's you this morning, please hear me. Hear, be quick to hear this word of God. God demonstrated his love for you 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That is where God demonstrated his heart for you, not your circumstances. Stop reading your circumstances. Stop thinking that you can interpret your circumstances rightly. You need to hear God. Hear what God says in his word. That's God's heart for you. Christ Jesus dying in your place is the testifying witness of God's heart for you, not your circumstances. You're not listening to him when you're living in this place. Or hear this word. It's one of the greatest words in the Bible, I think. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given his son for us. As James says, every good and perfect gift coming down from him. I think we can see uh, the way of Christian meekness in action in Psalm 73. Uh, so let's, let's turn there together. Psalm 73. This is a psalm of, of Asaph. This is a great place to go for this. <coughs> and so Asaph starts by saying in verse 2, My feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant. You see bitterness is brewing there, envy. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's why. So Asaph looks around in the world. He sees the wicked and the proud who are mocking God and they're prospering. They're rich and fat and happy. And he says in verse 12, they're always at ease, increasing in riches. And then in verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's saying in his heart, there's no point to this. Why am I doing this? And he's tempted to say all this out loud. In verse 15, he says, If I had said this, I will speak thus. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Note that. Note what being quick to speak would have done in that situation. He says, I would have betrayed the generation of your children by speaking this out into the air. But he doesn't do that. He's slow to speak. Verse 16 But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, doing what we're doing right now, worshiping. When he went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. It's when he comes to worship that he realizes they're not getting away with anything. God God sees this, and he's not a fool. Asaph is not a fool for fearing God and trusting in him. And so he's, he's led to worship in what I think is one of the sweetest passages in all of Scripture. Verse 22. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. That's a, that's a good picture of the stirrings of the anger of man. Brutish and ignorant, like a beast towards God. That's how I was. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Okay, why does it matter that we respond this way? James tells us in verse 20, 
for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So that's the reason he gives us. Be this way, because if you're this other way, you won't produce the righteousness of God. So notice in that reasoning, James is assuming that the Christian wants righteousness. He's saying the anger of man won't produce that, which raises the question, why, why does James assume that the Christian wants righteousness? You might want to know first, <laughs> what does he mean by the righteousness of God? I think he means, as the NIV has it, uh, the righteousness that God desires. Because he's holding those parallel together, the anger of man, the righteousness of God. It seems clear the anger of man is like a, a characteristic way of being. So this other one, the righteous character of God, we could say. The righteousness that is characteristic of God. So I think that's, that's what, assume, what James is assuming the Christian wants. But still, why does he assume, why does he assume that? Why, why should you and I want to produce righteousness? I thought we were justified by Christ's righteousness. We are. We are justified by Christ's righteousness. Know that. If you are in Christ, you are justified by faith in Christ. And it is Christ's righteousness, not ours, and his death on the cross in our place that is the sole basis for our acceptance with God. If you are in Christ, then you are justified by faith in Christ, his righteousness, okay? Why should we be concerned about producing righteousness then? Because genuine faith produces righteousness. The change is in us from this fallen nature to a nature like his is a necessary reality of the new birth. Because our faith is born of God's spirit, our lives will necessarily start to manifest God's holy character more and more. And so it should be concerning when we don't see that happening. If we don't see any trace of God's character in us, we want to see that coming to fruition in, in us. Because to see it is to see evidence that says, your faith is real. It's genuine. It's really there. So that's, that's why we, wanna, we want to produce righteousness. We want to see something witnessing that to us. Now, I want to say there is a plurality of assurances. And I think there's also a prominence of assurances. This is one of them, not the only one. There is also the testimony of the Holy Spirit to us declaring to us that we are God's children, crying out to God, Abba, Father. That's another one. But first and, and foremost, the bedrock of all assurance is God's promises in the gospel. The invincible new covenant that Jesus bought for his people with his blood. That is the bedrock assurance for us. Trusting and believing his promise in faith. And so I just want to say, if, if you're like me and you've struggled with the assurance of salvation and this makes you anxious or worried, please, come talk to me. I want to hear you. I want to pray with you. I want to go to the scriptures with you. You say, you don't even know me. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> you're my brothers and sisters. <laughs> I would love to talk with you about that. As Solomon says, a brother, a brother is born for adversity. 
Okay, so uh, also I think an important question, why does the anger of man not produce the righteousness of God? A brother once observed that anger is an expression and manifestation of love. Anger is what love looks like when love's object is threatened. My former pastor back in Ohio, Christopher Powers, gave a great illustration of this. Let's say my wife Shannon and I are asleep in bed, burglar breaks in, and I, I hear something and I wake up and he comes at Shanna. I wake up, grab the bat, the baseball bat by the bed, and I'm in mid-swing at his face. If you could pause that moment and ask him, what is that? He would say, that's anger. That's wrath. And he would be absolutely right. And if you were to ask Shanna the same question, what is that? She would say, that's love. And she would be right. Well, it's, it's the same situation with other loves, too. When our other loves are threatened, like getting to do what I want, <laughs> my comforts, when those things are threatened, thing, when things going my way is threatened, the anger of man is the response that rises up to that threat. So as long as our love is in the wrong place, on the things of man, on me, on what I want, my way, then the response will be the anger of man. Angry to lose pleasures, lose comforts. And as another brother said, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but the anger of God does. The anger of God has its love fixed on God. And so whenever the things of God are threatened, it rouses itself in anger against those things. It rou I, the anger of God works in me, rouses itself against the sin that it hates, my sin to fight my sin, to help others to see and hate their sin. The anger of God is angry against all sin and evil and everything that exalts itself against God and against his son. And so Paul says, let love be sincere, hating evil, hating what is evil, holding fast to what is good. But as a caveat for this, let us still be slow to anger, as James says. Being, being quick to hear the gospel, being quick to be made merciful and gracious in the gospel, let us be quick to hear that. Let us be cautious with that and careful. Okay, lastly, what is the outcome of all this? Well, the outcome of the anger of man is always sin. So, hear God's word and put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you're living in the anger of man and you see this, hear, hear his voice today. Receive this life-saving word with meekness and rid yourself of it. Let him, let him correct you and, and wash you of this. <clears throat> and put it away and this is interesting this with meekness part uh, the way it is in the Greek it, it could go with either one it could go with put it away with meekness or receive with meekness which I think is interesting so there, there is a meekness to putting this away and saying I'm sorry Lord I was wrong that's meekness 
there is also a meekness in saying, Lord, you were right, and, and receiving his word. <clears throat> so I think both of those are important to see. But maybe, maybe you're, you're living in the anger of man right now, and you just feel, you just feel stuck in it. Like, you can't, I can't pull myself out of this. I just keep doing this over again. God can. God can pull you out of that. His word is power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It's power. He says, is able. That means power. Receive with meekness the life-saving word that is able to save your souls. And this is amazing to me. So the, the Greek word behind is able is where we get our word dynamite. It's power. God's word is powerful. The outcome of the way of receiving with meekness the implanted word is the salvation of our souls. Okay, so in closing here, James in chapter 3 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace. Is sown in peace by those who make peace. Imagine meeting the person who had that heart in the midst of suffering. He was reviled, but did not revile in return, but rather continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. His prayer was, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So let that be our heart in Christ. Not as I will, Lord, but as you will. Knowing, and this is all important, that's not a begrudging prayer. That's not saying, I really want this, but I guess, I guess, Lord, what you want, yes, what, what you want. <laughs> Don't, no, that's wrong. What, what I want is not better. What he wants is better. <laughs> don't, don't pray, Lord, I guess what you want. Say, I want what you want. I don't, what I'm feeling in me as this thing that I want, I don't want that. I want what you want. So let that be in us. <clears throat> so on our own, in the midst of our trials, we don't want to hear we just, we just want to be heard. We want to pop off at the mouth in, in anger. We're bitter. But our Lord says, incline your ear, come to me, hear, that your soul may live. And he points us to Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And by his servant James, he says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Father, 
Lord, help us to do that. Help us to receive with meekness your word, your life-saving word. Help us to receive again the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing, help us to see Christ this morning. Help us to see the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Help us to receive that again with meekness and to know ourselves forgiven in him, to know ourselves loved by you, to know that you are 100% completely for us and that you will help us, Lord, in our time of need, that you will save us from the anger of man. We look to you and we praise you and we thank you with joyful hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen.